piece on the wide. I was doing. So guys, thanks for tuning in to the show. This uh, episode is with Tom Lehman of Rap Genius, and we're going to dive deep into all the intricacies of how he's done what he's done, how he's got to where he's gotten, what he recommends that we do. Again, I want to remind you guys to go follow my Instagram. That's where I put all this stuff at, at Josh Chingus. Also, like, subscribe, rate the show if you like it and you want to see more of it so that I can reach more people. But other than that, enjoy this episode. Tom, you ready to rock and roll? Yep. All right, let's do this. So, Tom, to to get things kicked off here, just quickly introduce yourself so we know a little bit about you, uh, who you are, what what your hobbies are, and then we can get going from there. Hi, so uh, I'm Tom Lehman, co-founder and CEO of, uh, of Genius. I'm also a, uh, a potter. You can check me out at TomLehmanCeramics.com. Uh, and I'm also working on a, uh, a knitwear company as well. Huh. So, Tom, the next question, I actually do random questions to kick things off because I want to keep it light and fun for the show. So you kind of stole my thunder a little bit. I was going to ask because I saw you did ceramics and you, and you do that kind of stuff. What is like the greatest thing to you that you've made doing that stuff describe to us that sure. process of what what it was how you made it how long it was and everything like that so yeah so you know my theory part of what i love about ceramics is that i think it's a metaphor for life one way in which that is true is that i believe that anyone can be great at ceramics and that actually the strategy for being great is incredibly simple and that strategy is make a thousand pots hmm. you make a thousand pots no matter who you are you will be great uh, at ceramics. I've probably made more than a thousand pots. I don't know if you, I would call myself great. I'd say I'm pretty good. <laughs> and so when it comes to making the best thing, you know, you've got to kind of think about each pot as part of the ingredients, uh, as an ingredient to, to self-improvement. And so yeah. uh, every pot is kind of a byproduct. So, you know, the best thing, the thing you're trying to make is an internal transformation and the pots that happen to accompany that are the scraps, basically the, uh, the who cares about that stuff. So, uh, one answer is to say, who cares about all the pots? Another answer <laughs> is I like, I think I made some pretty good ones this year in collaboration actually with another person at Genius, uh, which was the, uh, uh, it was the marriage of uh, ceramics and neon. So if you go to TomLaneCeramics.com, you look at the Bend show, it's the most recent show. It's uh, basically ceramic pots with the neon coming out of the top. And so, you know, uniting a new art form with the oldest art form, but both of them are, are timeless in a way, you know, neon and ceramics, once they're set up last uh, a really long time. Uh, Neon, we don't exactly know how long it lasts, but it's pretty good. So yeah, bend <laughs> is what I called it. Dang. So, so, so Tom, to kind of move on here with, with the main stuff of the, of the interview, just tell us a little bit about what the beginnings of your entrepreneurial journey was. I know that after doing some research, it wasn't starting with genius when I initially thought it was, but it sounds like you had done things beforehand. Talk about when you had initially started kind of your thoughts, what was going through your head where you're like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to be living like a student until I'm 40. What kind of things were going through your head? How are you attacking and making goals daily to make sure that you were successful with sure. what you're doing? So, yeah. So, you know, I guess my earliest, my earliest entrepreneurial beginnings were Probably it's my I really thought about it, but probably in, in high school when I was a sophomore oh, in high wow. school, I was one of the uh, and, and this is going to uh, date me. I'm uh, a <laughs> 36 year old current. So this was a long time ago, basically around. Anyway, so I was one of the first people to get a CD burner. So, you know, way no back way. in the day, there were these things called computers. 
and then they had the CDs and you have a CD burner and uh, the CD burners had these ratings where it was like speed. And so if the one X, it took 60 minutes to burn the CD and it was a four X, which is the one I got the best one available is probably like $500 or something. It takes 15 minutes. And so I had the CD burner. And so what I could do then is copy CDs uh, for money basically and, so. and, and make people CDs of, you know, Juarez or where's this is called download like Photoshop. And then give it. So that was my, it was not entrepreneurial at all. I didn't do any programming in college. I did one class actually where I was good at it, but one class, I feel like there's a myth, which may be true in a lot of cases of, you know, the entrepreneur who's like doing an internet business when they're 15 or 13, actually they're programming since they were nine. And that's how you have to do it. If you're over nine, you're fucked. And so I just want to say for all the people who are you know, older than nine out there, uh, you're, you're, you're okay, basically. Mm. And so, you know, after college, I started getting into the idea of, uh, basically, I got a job at a, at a hedge fund to do IT, basically to do help desk support as like kind of the, the beginnings of my career in technology. And I thought that it would be a fun way to kill a year in New York before I went to law school, but I ended up really liking it <laughs> and getting some ideas. And it started kind of percolating that maybe something in technology would be cool. And so, you know, I linked up with my uh, co-founder and friend, Alon, and uh, when we moved in together, we were just like thinking about ideas, coming up with ideas. And then we came up with our first idea, which was basically a proto Venmo. Uh, yeah. It was called Flift, which I think is a really cool name still. It, is a, uh, it was a way of paying, uh, of recording debts and paying people back. So Alana and I moved in together and we had this itch, which was who pays for the couch, who pays for this, the other thing, security <laughs> deposit. So we decided to uh, make something for that. And the first version of that was a Google Sheet. Back then, Google Sheets was still pretty good, actually. So you could make a, a pretty complicated, you can do a lot with a spreadsheet, make a complicated spreadsheet. Then we're like, let's build an app for this. We built it and then we built some other stuff. But it really wasn't until 2008, until I had been out of college a couple of years, where I really started to think, okay, maybe I can accomplish something uh, in technology and that might yeah. be a, uh, a cool thing to, to do. Mm. So Tom, kind of going along with that, one of the questions that I actually wrote down as a research question to ask you was, dealing with those 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 different startups in, in college when you were younger before you started genius with those things mm -hmm. that you were doing with your co-founders tell us what those things taught you as you were progressing to what you eventually do now which is genius how did you how did that uh turn you in the direction of genius what did that teach you when you were done with it what are some of the lessons that you pulled out of those and and tell us some of that so, yeah. So, I mean, one big lesson was just, you have to do things. This kind of goes back to the ceramics concept. Like yeah. if you want to, basically I had it in my head, I had the strategy, the full strategy in my head. I was like, okay, if I make 20 websites, one of them is going to be good or one of them is going <laughs> to succeed. And Jesus was like the fifth website. So I called it uh, basically <laughs> perfectly. Uh, and uh, so it's just do things. Don't worry so much about the current thing being great. Do it. Go to the next thing. Now, yeah. There's also a paradox here because at the same time, you have to do things, do things, go, 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 go. But unlike the ceramics thing with the company thing, uh, you can actually make a big difference on a project if you commit your like life to it, basically. Yeah. And so you have to go and do things and do things and do things. But then at some point, you have to pick something, uh, and hopefully you can recognize it. Hopefully it has a life of its own, and you have to stick with that for 10 years. And that's a really hard thing to do because no matter how good the thing is, it's going to look like it's completely fucked, excuse me. It's going to look completely yeah. messed up <laughs> at some point in there. And so being able to not be a perfectionist, try, try, try many things, see what sticks, do this, work with this person, do this, all this kind of stuff, try to combine these two ideas into a thing, you know, do all this stuff. And then 
stick with something and then don't quit ever, no matter what is kind of the, uh, uh, the strategy. Yeah. So Tom, in that, in that phase as well, when you were trying to figure things out leading up to genius and even when you had started it, what kind of things were you doing just like to stay alive in a way? Because obviously humanly needs have to be met. You have to eat to make sure that you can function to run yep. a business. So for the people that are confused about you starting so much stuff, taking time away from p- potentially having a job that can pay the rent, yep. pay the food, what kind of things were you doing to combat that to make sure most of your time was going towards these companies that you were trying to start and then genius? You can never really understand how like entrepreneurs like Tom get past the day-to-day things in the beginning phases of how they even live. You know what I mean? You can't understand that enough. Like where did you get your job at? How did you get that job? When, you know, you take the train, take the car. How are you paying for like your car? How are you paying for the train, your food? How was all this functioning as, you know, you were running these businesses in Tom's case, like multiple businesses while you don't have the biggest income. So I feel like this question is really applicable to people in the startup phase. The people that are wanting to do stuff can really listen up here. Yeah. So I think I'm a big believer, especially if you are, on the younger side, uh, college or whatever, I'm a big believer in getting a job, basically. Like, I think it's good to get a job. I almost didn't get a job. I almost went straight to law school. That would have been a very different and worse, I think, life path for me, though maybe it would have been amazing. I don't know. Crazy really different say, life like, path, yeah. <laughs> weird. Get a job. I also think, you know, if I had, like, you know, money somehow, maybe I wouldn't have needed a job, but I think that would have also been bad. Like, having just, like, unlimited time to work on startups. Yeah. Like, you have to kind of embrace constraints also a job teaches you something like when you're in college or at least when I was in college like you know there were aspects of it that were hard but it was just not that hard basically like it was pretty hard and I took it quite seriously actually maybe more than I needed to and so I worked hard uh, but it was not that hard the demands of of the quality wasn't that high you were paying to be there you have a professor you say hey professor I want an A on this and the professor says we have to do a really good job but fundamentally I'm paying you to read this paper and that (laughs) vibe cannot go away. But if you have a job, they're paying you to give the thing. And so they're going to read it more uh, uh, critically. And also having a job teaches you about uh, how to do something on an ongoing basis. Like what does it look like to work on something for a year? You don't really get that experience in in, in school. And maybe you can get that from your own startup. It won't be realistic. A job gives you, here's a realistic thing. Uh, And also a job just reveals how important communication is like, you know, I had the fort- good fortune of working with uh, people who are based in Hyderabad, India, uh, as part of the job. And so dealing with the time zone, dealing with the cultural yeah. differences, the language, all this kind of stuff really helped me understand. Uh, so I'm a big fan of getting uh, a job and working hard and trying to do a good job, which is what I did. I think mm-hmm. that uh, uh, you still have to find time for the startup. And so yeah. that is uh, why they have a weekend. <laughs> weekend. <laughs> and so if anyone says uh, nights, some people say nights. I think nights are too hard. I cannot really work at night. Yeah. It's, 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 it's too tiring. But a weekend is actually good. And uh, I think it is not a good idea to work every single day. It is a good idea, in my view, to work six days a week. And if you really are trying to make something happen, you might have to work seven days a week. It sucks. Yeah. But like, you know, take vacations. I'm a big believer in taking vacations. But if I'm just like <laughs> in New York, it's like, let's try to get some work done. So that was the thing. And then after a while, I was able to negotiate a new work arrangement where I came in and worked one day a week and was still able to make, you know, enough money to barely kind of sort of get by kind of, and that was a fortunate thing. And so I highly recommend 
you know, being alive to different work arrangements you can have. I never did any explicit consulting thing, but, you know, if you're working for a company and they like you, you might be able to negotiate something you didn't think was possible. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I am a big believer in having a job and I think it teaches you a lot and you've got to make money and you can't, having unlimited freedom is bad. I only quit, only resigned completely from that job once we got into Y Combinator, once we got funding. So yeah. I was pretty much attached to normal society uh, until the very end, basically. Mm. So Tom, just kind of a quick answer here. What would you recommend as a, as a path for someone to, if they wanted to still have a job and then run the startup, would you say weekends, full-time, part-time, then you can do nights? What is optimal for someone that's confused about, I still need to pay some like rent, food, gas. What do you tell them? Like, what do you recommend as just like a good scope in your mind for what you've been through? Yeah, I think, I think in the beginning, if, in my experience, like I, you know, I don't want to speak for others, but you have to work very hard. And what that yeah. means is six minimum and probably seven days a week, uh, a lot. And, you know, otherwise there's just literally no way you can possibly find uh, uh, the time at the same yeah. time, this is not free or whatever. Like I did this for actually quite a long time. And then in 2015, I swore it off. I said, I am never working a weekend unless I have to basically like I really decided because like if you do it for too long you will you get so wrapped up in it you're just like oh my god like if anything my whole identity is this and every second I'm thinking about this like you know that was really seven days a week on genius which is too much uh, I really am trying to not work seven days a week on genius and you know sometimes you'll always have to work weekends but you should you have to have some separation because otherwise you go crazy but if it's five days a week at a normal job and one or two days a week on a weekend on your passion it sucks, but you might have to do it. Like you got to make money, you exactly. know, and the job is also good in some ways. If you don't like the job, you can also get a new job, by the way. So don't have a job <laughs> that sucks, but just don't have no job. If you have no job and no funding for your startup, that is not a good place to be, in my opinion. That's more stressful than having a job and trying to cram it in because if you would have the money. It's like when you need the money, the money is very important. Exactly. So Tom, doing some more research and looking at my, at my paper here, I want to read another question because I feel like this is at a, at a good time to ask this. When you did start Genius, it was in 09, I, I researched. And then I saw that yep. just in 2011 was when you guys received funding from Y Combinator. So just two years later, within that time is kind of what I want to place uh, both of us in right now and, and talk a little bit about. Because it looked like as well, you had like a million unique monthly visitors on your site mm -hmm. in 2011. I mean, you started in 2009. So this two year span was definitely something big for, for you and your co-founders. If you could talk about that gray area for, for what the internet doesn't cover, like what kind of things were going on behind the scenes to make that happen where you sure. did have, you know, a million visitors talk so, about yeah, that. So they wanted to see what kind of strategies Tom had when he went from zero to 1 million monthly unique visitors on a website. So I really think it's beneficial for me to ask this for you guys so you can understand what things he was thinking about doing and basically how that was possible because that's pretty crazy. So you know, it was, it is a gray area, I think is, 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 it's a really good way to describe it because, <laughs> you know, once you get into Y Combinator, once you get a hundred thousand or 150,000, whatever it is, you know, okay, you know, Stuff's we're going to be working on this until it dies. Basically, <laughs> uh, we're not going to quit essentially. Uh, and that's not true. You still, it's still tempting to quit even after you get funding, but it's a lot more tempting to quit when you don't have it. And so, yeah. you know, part of it, I think, was having had a job and having tried some other companies, I came to Genius with a certain level of professionalism. So I was sort of like taking it 
we were all taking it fairly seriously from the jump. So it's like, you know, first of all, we were able to get a bunch of friends to work on it. That was ingredient one in this thing. It wasn't just yeah. the co-founders. Mm-hmm. Second of all, we built kind of a thing, like there'd be a spreadsheet. And here's all the songs that we're putting up and we're reviewing them. And here's the community we're getting involved. So there was like a structure here where it wasn't just kind of like waiting for stuff to happen. And, you know, hopefully we get lucky. It was like, we really put a structure around it. Uh, we launched it for real. We had tried to get press. Uh, we got a great piece of press right after we launched in a publication called New York Magazine. And we thought, oh, my God, we're in New York Magazine. We're done. Like, this is great. Feet on the desk. Or whatever. Tom, how did you get that? How, how did you get that, the, the, the press release? It's so hard to know. what the it, I have no idea <laughs> to this day because really? no one knew about it. It was, in, uh, it was in the print edition of the magazine. It was two months after we launched. We didn't get more press after that for a little bit. But, like, it is so hard to know. And that's the thing that's so difficult to convey really is yeah. that part of the reason to not quit and to have faith is that unexpected good things will happen. Yeah. Like everyone knows about the things you hope will happen and they don't, or they do. And everyone knows about, <laughs> oh no, what new bad thing is going to happen? I don't know about, but unexpected good things also happen. And so part of having faith and not quitting is, is, is waiting to see what those things will be because you can't imagine them. But anyway, we had, a, we had a level of professionalism that I think drove kind of some momentum, but uh, you know, in 2010, it was hard. You know, it was a, uh, it was hard because, you know, no one was really visiting the site or they were, but like not as many people as you wanted. Mid 2010 started to pick up a little bit. Basically, I and my friends and my co-founders and some other people on the internet thought it was cool and thought it was unique. That kind of energy kept, kept me, you know, engaged with it. But I was thinking about other ideas at that point, for sure. Like, mm. I think you always got to be, you, you got to be thinking about ideas, honestly. Like, I, I, I always got to think, oh, like another idea that I had that I actually built a prototype to at that point was, um, you know, this kind of, you ever heard of mint.com? It's like a financial thing, basically. Um, it's like, anyway, you put your, your bank and it tells you where your money's going or something. Oh, I, okay. I uh, you know, a friend of mine had the idea where it would be like that, but for like cell phone usage. So you'd like, you know, put in your cell phone details and it would tell you, you know, which plan to get, but also give you a bunch of interesting information. It would say, okay, here are the people you should put in your favorites based on who you yeah. call or whatever. It doesn't matter. Just like, oh, here's a cool idea. Let's do it. And so, you know, I was, I was working on these things, but genius was always the main thing because always the coolest thing. And then because it gradually started to get traction, but yeah. still who knows, right? Like we applied to Y Combinator, we didn't get in. So that was huh. first time around. So we could have easily said, screw it, we're done with this. But that's interesting. kept at it, applied again. So yeah, I mean, it was just a combination of, it was the best and most compelling idea for us. And we were getting just enough traction and love from the outside world to keep it going. And no other good idea, <laughs> you know, competed <laughs> with it. So yeah, it, but it's, it's chancy. It, it, it was not at all. Yeah, it was, it was, it was not like anyone had the vision of, I mean, we had the vision of this is going to be cool. We did not have the vision of this is going to succeed. <laughs> exactly. So, Tom, kind of going along with, with this phase here between 2009 and, and 2011, obviously you guys started as just like a lyrical site describing what lyrics actually meant, what they, what they could mean, what these artists were, were saying. When you went from that to actually working with artists, describe when you had mm-hmm. launched that, how you were going and doing um, work with these artists, like, did you have a game plan of how you were going to meet with these artists for an hour or two hours? What kind of things in the very beginning were you doing to get like your first couple artists to make sure you had good content for your site and then grow from there? Talk about that area for us. Sure. 
So the artist thing came came a little later. So we had already gone through Y Combinator. We got a little money. And then we were basically thinking, this artist thing is our next big thing. So let's get artists on the site. You know, through an investor, we hooked up with Nas, who uh, was one of the inspirations behind the site. And so it was amazing to get to work with him first because we knew, you know, A, this would be amazing content. Also, B, this will kind of set the tone for like what we're trying yeah. to accomplish. You know, even as we were doing that, we knew, okay, Nas is a good place to start, but we need to be about established artists, up and coming artists. We need the next Nas on the site as well. So, so we did that. And, and in the beginning, I remember the first interview, my co-founder, Alon, actually did the interview because we had no team to, to do it. Yeah. I remember the first thing, and it's not so different in theory from what today was, where we basically using the community, using our knowledge, compiled like 10 of the most cryptic Nas lines or whatever. Yeah. And then we, uh, you know, we, we asked him, I think that we just didn't, we never could quite make it work, to be honest, like the whole <laughs> experience, it like just didn't, cause we put it and then it's like, we took a video of it because it's like okay video is good and we put that on the page with the annotations you click the line you see a video player with nas in it but then it's like do i really want to watch this video right now it's (laughs) like uh and then so we would turn the videos into text and put text on the site because the site is more of a text site you go read the lyrics you can read the annotations you know until you play a video but then it's like you lose the artist took us a really long time really you know three four years until we kind of settled on our current uh, video strategy, which is basically taking it completely away from the site and making it a self-contained yeah. uh, experience. And this was the big evolution in our thinking generally that happened around 2015, which was to, instead of thinking of Genius as a website, as an app, and we're going to keep making the website and apps better and better and better, and put video in there, and put everything in these things. <laughs> we say, okay, the website and apps is this. We can have video that's over here. We can have experiential that's over here. We have all the social accounts that's over here. So you can have this whole landscape of media properties that are all grounded in what we've done on the website. The website and apps are still the biggest, most important uh, uh, foundation of what we're doing, but it doesn't have to be in that. You don't have to cram everything in that. And that's what we were trying to do early with artists and video. Artists are a video-driven thing, and video is not primarily a, uh, a website and apps product. But other than that mess up, the idea was right all along, which is like, this is, you know, we did this, uh, uh, we did this big study recently, because we're always trying to like figure out, okay, like, we know about our audience, we want to learn more about our audience, but what's, what, what about music enthusiasts generally? So we did this big yeah. poll where we pulled a thousand uh, 18 to 34 year olds, so not, uh, I was not in this cohort, and, and, and these are music fans, and we said, okay, a bunch of questions, and one question we said is, when you hear a new song that you like, what is the first thing you do? And the number one answer we got is look up the lyrics. And that's, I think, a, a yeah. great thing for, you know, geniuses, sort of what we're trying to do. But it makes sense. You know, you're like, well, what, what's going on? Let me learn a little more. The lyrics are the first place to learn more. <laughs> and then it's like, okay, when, you, uh, when you're when you thinking about your, your artists you like, what kind of content are you most interested in? And, you know, this is like, you know, their hobbies, their, you know, fashion, their creative process, the stories behind their songs, you know, is, is, is the number one answer. And so huh. this is not, we didn't do a big study before we started doing this stuff, but this is something we kind of knew we were right is that the story behind the song is the first step to getting closer to the, uh, to the artist, relating it to your own uh, life. And so you're right on that. We just could never exactly, we just didn't exactly make it work until, you know, we started in 2012 until like 2015 or 2016. It started working. Yeah, Tom. So to go back to kind of what you're saying, how did you walk through the process of how you actually got Nas onto to genius? Did you email him? Did you have some, uh, contractor or what was that what was that process look like how'd you get the attention of anyone when you're early on is pretty hard if you're smaller and that person
person's bigger and you're trying to work with that person in some way. So in Tom's case, I feel like this is applicable for us to really understand how we did this so we can implement some kind of process and system that can help us potentially do the same thing that he did and then start working with artists now that want to work with him. So during their seed fundraising process, which is hard, it's always difficult to remember how the fundraising thing works. Fundraising thing is really a microcosm for the old experience where it's just like, there's (laughs) no way to know. I can't remember how we did it. And I definitely remember it seeming totally it wasn't going to work, but somehow we were able to raise the money and meet some people. We took money from, I don't know how we met him, actually. I forget how we met him. Alan would know. Uh, this guy, Troy Carter, who is a, uh, a great guy in the music industry and uh, uh, runs a bunch of, anyway, we met this guy, Troy Carter, hmm. and he invested and we went to visit him in his office and he said, hey, here's what I think uh, about artists and you should work with, you should work with someone great first, you work with Nas first. And actually, uh, I work with or work next to, or you, that, that's Nas's manager over there. Yeah. <laughs> was basically the uh, good fortune we had is we talked to Nas's manager and he got it and then we started talking about potential investment, all this kind of thing. Uh, and then 50 million emails later, we actually got in the room with, uh, with Nas, it's impossible yeah. to schedule uh, anything. But we had the good fortune of getting an intro from an investor, and I don't know how we met that uh, investor, huh. but it definitely was through Y Combinator somehow. Yeah, Y I Combinator think... is really the, the key to the puzzle on the genius <laughs> story in terms of being able to get money yeah. for things and meet people. Hey, just Y Combinator and you're good, guys. You're good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know how it is now, but at the time... Uh, it was good. Yeah. So Tom, still staying in this phase here, I want to ask one more one more question from my research here, kind of based on what people are feeling. I feel like this is something that could be applicable to the people that are listening for people creating sites, wanting to do something that kind of what, what you've done here. For those people that feel kind of allergic to traffic, they've been doing it for six months, a year, and mm-hmm. they still feel like they haven't gotten any visitors at all like they're getting some here and there but it's just mm-hmm. stagnant for you and your experience obviously you've had you had a million in two years so at that year mark like what did it look like for you when it started growing in traffic did you do anything different were you just scaling what you were doing originally talk about how and the experiences you had and what you were doing when that was growing tell us how that all happened in the first you know, the internet's really saturated with websites from all sorts of people so you know, why not ask and keep on diving into this question with Tom because he's done what he's done. So I just figured, let's see exactly how we did. The truth is, I don't have an amazing memory of exactly how we did it. But I think, you know, you need to have a strategy, basically. You know, you, yeah. you, you, you need to know that it's going to take forever and, you know, it might not work or whatever. You might have to change. But you have to have some kind of strategy that you execute. You can't just wait. And our strategy was uh, SEO and search engine optimization yeah. and so that basically at the time i don't exactly know what seo means today because we still do some seo but we don't you know getting started in seo is really hard in a category like lyrics and mm. so initially thought that we would do seo and win people's searches about meaning uh because we were the best at that but we soon realized that the amount of people searching for meaning is so small relative to the amount of people searching for lyrics which is massive that it was better to break off a slice of the lyrics market versus trying to get a huge chunk of the meaning search market, so to speak. Like lyrics on Google is huge. It's like basically they should rename Google like lyrics search box essentially because it's just like <laughs> such a popular search thing. So that was kind of something we knew. At the time, we had amazing luck because we were 
the timing of genius was at a point where we could break into the lyrics market, which I don't think it would have been, would be possible yeah. uh, today. And so basically we adopted the sort of standard SEO tactics of trying to get people to link to our website and link to our website for new songs because having the best lyrics, the fastest, uh, and getting people to link to you is the best way to win search results. And so we said, okay, yeah. forget all the old songs, focus on the new songs and get people to go. And, um, you know, I still remember the first song where we run, won the search result search. I had the first uh, organic search result. It was a song. It was a remix of the song Beamer, Benz, or Bentley. I don't know if you know that one. It's like <laughs> yeah. a, kind of a prehistoric song from your perspective probably, but I remember it. <laughs> the, the, the fabulous remix of Beamer, Benz, or Bentley, which is like, obscure song the remix is even more obscure but we were number one and so we got a bunch of traffic from our standpoint mm -hmm. on that and so that was kind of the the process of you know more and more songs come out we do better and better each time uh, but it's very 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 hard and i don't know what the strategy would be today if we launched it today it would be a totally different strategy mm. so tom to to move on to kind of like the present time with with genius here Tell us about the things going on now. Like what, what was one of the most inspirational or most memorable things that have happened in the past year with, with, with genius here. Just talk about this time and what's, what's going on. Maybe say one like little failure that you remember and how you uh, overcame that in the, in the past year. Or so talk a little bit about that with us for a second. Sure. So past year, I mean, you know, the current state of genius. So just kind of putting it in context, like, you know, there is the, uh, when you're creating something, there is the challenge of getting the thing that works, i.e. Yeah. Uh, has traction, ideally makes money, has people coming to it, like isn't going away, right? Like it's going to be around and, and it's, 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 it's legit basically. And that's mm -hmm. where we were uh, in 2012 where we felt like, okay, we have built something, you know, that is lasting here, but it's still, you know, small. And so it's yeah. very, very hard to build anything anyone cares about. You know, I have this, uh, my view is that uh, if you can build a product and 17 people use it regularly, like that's a success, basically. <laughs> like it's, it's very hard to build anything people care about. So you build mm -hmm. that and we built that in 2012. And then after you build that, you have to do the even harder thing of taking it to the next level, putting something out, attaching something else to it and having them all exist, the both things exist uh, together is a bigger thing. And that's what we've been working on since 2012. And it's taken, it's taken us a long time because it's way harder. As hard as it is to get to genius to the place it was in 2012, way more work to get to the place it is today. And so basically what that means is the new idea. And we've had a bunch of ideas. One other idea that uh, we didn't end up pursuing was this idea of being able to annotate any web page on the internet. So we had this tool where you could go to any web page, write an annotation, and have this vision of the annotated internet. So you'd have like little notes on everything. And I still think this is great. Uh, idea we didn't end up uh, pursuing that we did pursue creating a media company creating uh, a company that had a kind of as i mentioned a second ago a company that has a bunch of different media properties that are all connected but not all literally on one big website or one big app uh, and so that's what we've been working on since about 2016 uh, and uh, in the past year the big focus has been you know sort of pushing this concept and you know, creating, like making it, you know, making the most important properties of these things, just like their own kind of, uh, uh, like, for example, our video series verified the one with the yellow uh, background, yeah. like that's something where, you know, one problem we have is that people don't know that that's the same thing as the website. 
that's a problem. We should know that they're the same company, but it's also kind of cool that people look at this thing, this verified thing, this YouTube channel that we have, and think of this as, wow, this could be a standalone thing where I can, as a user, as a consumer, love this thing without even knowing the website exists. And I should know the website exists, let's put it all together, but like creating things that are not like, oh, the little sibling of the website, but are standalone uh, things, even the website and apps are the, uh, are the biggest, and then using that and then making money from it, basically. And yeah. so that's been the big focus for the past uh, two years, three years, I guess, but two years really, really, really in earnest is taking you know, everything we've accomplished uh, culturally with an audience, from an audience standpoint, from our standpoint, and figuring out how to build a profitable business from it. And that has been, excuse me, you know, a big, a big challenge as we've, as a company, spent a long time not making uh, any money, but is we've really turned our, our attention to it. And that's been kind of my, my focus. And it's been a really fun thing for me because just like I learned software and I learned you know, music, uh, <laughs> the music industry, uh, I am now learning uh, advertising. Yeah, 100%. So, Tom, another quick question here from what I have on my paper here. I, I heard you on the BuzzFeed podcast, I think it was, and I just wanted to bring up something and get your thoughts firsthand on, on what you meant by this. It Basically, in the show notes, mm -hmm. said that you – Within all of this journey that you've taken with everything that you've been through with Genius and other things that you've started beforehand, the biggest thing for you in, in progressing was constructive feedback along that journey is what it said. And so with that, why is it constructual, uh, why is it constructive feedback and not like business checkpoints where you accomplish this, accomplish X, accomplish Y? Why specifically constructive feedback is that important in your mind in your journey uh, to progression. Tell, tell yeah. us about that. The asking this would really go to show exactly how Tom operates and what made him do what he's done up to this date. You know what I mean? So I feel like you can take this or the person can take this and really look into themselves and see how they operate best. Or from Tom's words, whatever he might say, that, they, that he can expose something that would help you really understand yourself or make sure that you're more productive and kind of gets what you want to get to. Sure, yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing, it's like, yeah, as I said, I'm a big proponent of trying stuff, do things and then see what happens. And then for that to work, you have to do a thing and to really see what happens. You've got to get that feedback. And uh, often that feedback will be from the world where you'll try a thing and you'll see no one uses this feature. No one goes to the site, but <laughs> yeah. it's also tough to even interpret that kind of thing. You need other people's help. And so other people have to be honest with you and, 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 you know, help you by telling you, hey, listen, you ate that kale and you got food in your teeth. You should take care of that in the same yeah. way uh, if you do something, you know, it's, it's help, you know, uh, you can't do it alone. And so, you know, I think that's a big, uh, and a big part of the culture of genius, the culture of feedback. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to, 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 to give and receive uh, feedback. It's not how normal life is. Like if your friend tells you a story, you don't go and say, that was a great story, but listen, here are some elements that I think could be better. You know, you just say, good story. You know, so you kind of get to push yourself to give and, and, and receive feedback. And, uh, uh, and that's been just like a tremendous, you know, part of uh, my life. Yeah, 100%. I think that there's not enough of that, if I'm being honest. In, in most people's lives, they don't want to hear it firsthand. They don't want to kind of be criticized. They take it as an ego shot, but I think that it's really applicable if you take it in the right way. So. Tom, we're, we're entering like the last couple of questions of the interview here. One of the last ones sure. is really applicable to the people listening. And it basically goes, if they're done listening to this episode, knowing what you've done, what you've built, 
when they put it on pause, they get up out of their chair, walk out of the door. What is that one thing that you tell them to do if they want to build something similar to what you've built? What is that one thing after they walk out of the door, stop the episode that you'd recommend them to do to get on the right path to kind of pursue something like this successfully? What do you, what do you tell them? Uh, I could say a couple of things. So one thing I would say is learn to program or become obsessed with programming. That might not be for everyone. Uh, but for me, I can tell you, A, you can do it. If you really try and you love it, you can become obsessed with it. Even if you don't have a back, if you don't have a background in a major in computer science or whatever. Uh, and yeah. B, for me, it has been the key to unlock everything because for every project I've worked on, I've been the starting engineer and I've been able to do it myself and being able to do it yourself is really, really, really important. Now, if you can find someone to build the thing, that's really, really hard. Maybe that person approaches you (laughs) means you have some other big domain expertise, but if you're just a normal person who's smart, who's interested, programming is a good uh, uh, step. And then I'd say the other step is putting yourself in an interpersonal uh, context where ideas can happen basically like to be you know you don't have ideas by sitting in your room alone and thinking in your chair and thinking ideas you sit alone by you just that's why i love new york move to new york it's expensive in new york it's hard to move to new york but you know new york you people everything ideas happen experience it uh and then yeah make something make something pick a thing that you think is cool make it and see how that feels and don't worry about it too much beyond that yeah 100 percent so, Tom, we're going to move on to the questions that I like to call are, are from us. They're, they're asking, people are asking these questions, kind of hoping they can understand you a little bit more. And I find these on, on the Internet and just people that kind of come talk to me. So the first question, you can give short answers. So you, don't, you don't need to elaborate on these at all. But the first question mm-hmm. is, uh, what is Genius's monetization strategy? What is that answer? Sure. So it's basically two things. So one is advertising. So advertising is giving uh, brands, advertisers, uh, uh, the ability to be adjacent to Genius content or to even be integrated into Genius content. So the adjacency is like you go to the website, you see uh, display advertising, banners, and so forth. Uh, You can also see a piece of uh, a pre-roll or a TV commercial, whatever you want to say that runs before a video we have. Uh, or we can even create a custom episode of a video series that, <clears throat> you know, where the artist maybe uses your product and we integrate it. So uh, that's advertising. Uh, and then another uh, element of it is uh, product uh, integration into other people's services. So, for example, we have a partnership with Spotify where they take genius knowledge and put it in the Spotify app. Yeah. Uh, we also uh, provide lyric data to Apple who puts it uh, in, the, uh, uh, in the Apple app, excuse me, in Apple Music. Uh, we do the reverse where you integrate an Apple Music player into our website. Uh, and so basically integrations and advertising. Yeah. Interesting. So next question here, Tom, is how did you, how did Rap Genius bootstrap its database of lyrical explanations in the beginning? So, yeah, I mean, you know, it's a, it's a community oriented website that is in the DNA. But in the beginning, I was scared of that side of things. Basically, I thought, you know, you know, hey, I know Wikipedia works, but I don't want to give uh, everyone on the internet a, uh, a chance to mess around with what's going on on the website. So in the beginning, it was just our friends. Uh, and then you had to be approved uh, to join, basically. Like you had to say, okay, well, I don't know who this person is, but uh, uh, this person says they're good or whatever they join. And then we eventually made it so that everyone could, uh, 
uh, uh, sign up. But even at that point, I was looking at every single thing that happened on the website. So sort of a gradual process of turning on the crowdsourcing. Yeah. So last last one here, Tom, is how did Rap Genius Y Combinator interview go down? Talk about that story quickly. That's funny, actually. So we uh, we got the interview and I was like thrilled, basically, because I thought, OK, like we're going to be in person. This idea is pretty far along. We're going to we're going to nail this. But I was still very nervous. And so I remember the day of we went to uh, uh, we went to 24 hour fitness uh, in the morning <laughs> to kind of work out a little bit, get going. And then uh, we went into the interview and they uh, Paul Buchheit opened the interview, kind of threw a curveball at us. He was like, uh, so there's this song, uh, uh, Hotel California. And in the start of it, there's like a thing, lyrics says like the warm smell of Colita. And so Paul was like, what does that mean? If you guys have the lyric meeting website, what does that mean? And so we had to like look that up in the interview. And fortunately, that was a pretty good annotation. And so they were like, <laughs> oh, okay. So I think, and then that kind of got the ball rolling. And we talked and at the end of the interview, because then we were talking about intellectual property and like, okay, well, are you going to license these lyrics and doing deals with the music industry is really hard and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. At the end of the interview, Paul Graham was basically like, I think you guys uh, are, are standing there and there's a huge rock that's going to fall on your head. And we said, <laughs> uh, okay, cool, bye. And then they called us and said, you're in. So that was super weird. Uh, yeah, Paul, Paul Graham is always like, you know, rad yeah. a little bit. Uh, but, uh, you know, he gave us our shot. So, you know, much love. Interesting cook, yeah. So, so Tom, that's all that I had for you here. If you want to give us any shout outs to yourself, Genius, any any links that you'd have for us, if you want to shout those out now, then we'll say goodbye. Yeah, shouts to the Genius team. Uh, shouts to myself. Um, <laughs> you know, shouts to the listeners out there. Believe in yourself. You know, you got to have faith. Who knows 100%. what's going to happen? You know, you can believe or not. Uh, you should believe. Yeah, thanks for taking the time. Really appreciate the, the questions and everything. Yeah, Tom, of course. All right, Tom, uh, one more time. I just want to thank you, you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Special of the fighters and thanks for tuning into the show guys i want to remind you to follow my instagram at josh chingus because where i put this stuff is on my instagram i'll also have the link to the video that i'm posting the explainer video for this kind of helping you understand what happened behind the scenes in the show notes of this episode so you can go check them out there Remember to like, subscribe, and rate the show if you like it so I can reach a bigger audience, help people out with this content. And other than that, we'll see you guys on the next episode.